grateful and so thankful that our church is a family. That's one of the ways you see church. And so, Father, I pray that we would be strengthened, those of us who are connected in marriage, that those connections would be stronger, closer, better than ever. Those who desire those connections, that they would receive wisdom in their pursuit of the godly mate that you have planned for them. Those, Lord, in any stage of their life, widows, widowers, whatever the case may be, Lord, we're still family. And so I know that there's something good for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, You can interrupt me whenever you'd like, and sometimes I'll just... uh, I'm good at that. (laughs) But I I just want to say that we're going to look at a biblical viewpoint of family because you don't see that much anymore. And uh, really, since we did this in 2014, once before, things have changed a lot. In, in, in eight years, Amen. things have changed a lot. It really has gotten to the point in our culture where if you embrace a traditional and biblical uh, viewpoint of marriage and child rearing and all that that goes with it, family, that you're, you're looked at as being sometimes wrong, sometimes not uh, in step, of course, with what's going on in the culture. We're, we're living in some very strange times. And um, if you embrace what we're teaching you and what we will teach you, you will be going against the tide of what's uh, common and uh, very prevalent in today's society. Uh, we're, you know, who would have ever thought that we would be at this place? And I, I'm, we don't want to spend our time with just statistics and just telling you what the problems are that you already know. But I will say this to you, that if you embrace the biblical truths, you need to be ready to stand Mm -hmm. because you will be opposed in various ways. You won't find always a friend in your local schools. I'm not saying they're all unfriendly, but you won't always find a friend in the, the institutions that we used to look to for stability and support. You, you, won't, uh, you, you won't maybe even find people in your extended family that would even agree with you about what biblical marriage is. I mean, we're in a culture today where people have, some people have very uh, much of a difficulty to now even define what a woman is. What is a man? What is a woman? I mean, we are in crazy, crazy times. So I think that, that it's timely that we could, we could come to this. So... Um, God's viewpoint of the biblical family is based on unchanging priorities. They don't change. They never change. They're based on spiritual laws taken from our Bibles, Mm -hmm. which means because they are laws, they work everywhere, no matter what continent you're on, no matter what state you live in. They work everywhere. They work for everybody, regardless of who you are or your age. They work all the time. So these are not outdated principles of the past. So what we're presenting over the next few weeks will be a biblical perspective of husbands, wives, parents, children, extended families, including the in-laws and the outlaws, and how they all interact together. Amen. You know, um, I, I say this in a lot of areas of my life. But it is true, there are no perfect people 
yeah. this world. You know, when you have more than one person, you know, you heard the joke about the guy that was stranded for many years on a deserted island. He was the only person there. And he, um, he was a builder, and he, he stayed there for years and years, and no one ever came to rescue him. But one day, finally, his rescuer arrived, and he had made his, himself a little village, you know, and he was showing the people what he had done. Well, all those years he had been there by himself, so he was showing him uh, the people his home, and this is where you know <coughs> we uh, go to church. And the man looked over and he said, "Well, I see a church over there." And he said, "Oh, we couldn't get along with." <laughs> so I had to build my own. So you know, if you have more than one person, you're going to have some conflict. But you know, since we um, since we did this eight years ago, I did learn something, and uh, you know, we told you eight years ago that you can't live on love, but you can. You can live on love, and that's the way you're going to live in victory is the love walk. And you know, First uh, Corinthians 13 says that if I can tell the mountain to be cast into the sea, but I don't have love to back that up, then I'm just like an old creaky, uh, creaking gate or something that is just irritating. You know, have you ever been around people and they were grouchy and they were hateful and no matter what they did, you really didn't want to receive from them. You know, they were just making noise to you. So you can live on love, and you should live a life of love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to open them to the first chapter of the book of Genesis. There's no better place to, to get started on this kind of a teaching subject than the Word of God, and Amen. and this one, the best place to start is in the start, the right beginning. in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the very first chapter, verse 26 says, and God said, let us make man in our image after the image, and, and I'm sorry, in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle. And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man, we would maybe use the phrase mankind, in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Can I read the, um, I think it's the good, no, the message translation. And it says that um, God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female, and God blessed them. Prosper, produce, fill the earth, take charge. Da, 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 da. You yeah. got to take charge. You know, you 
have your own destiny in your hand. You can write your own ticket with God. God put everything in the earth we need. to. He, he put it there to prosper us and for us to take charge of it. Be responsible, the Bible, this version says. Be responsible for the Uh, for fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And then God said, I have given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on the earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. All the animals and the birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for them to live. God looked over everything he made, and it was good so very good. Amen. 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 When you go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, you see uh, kind of a recap of what, uh, from Scripture, of what was going on for the creation. And verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. I'm reading from the King James. It would mean the helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet or fitting for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept And he took one of his ribs. Notice he didn't take a bone from his foot, nor one from his head. He took one from his side. That's the place that God planned for families to be side by side. It's not a matter of some one lording over another and one becoming a slave to another and all of that. But from his rib, God made a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, wow. That's that's not in there, is it? And Adam said, I'm sure he did something like that. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. The word cleave there is interesting. It means to stick to like glue. So that's an inseparable type of, of arrangement. Shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There's a whole lot in those verses, verses 18 through 25. I uh, have a few things that I want to say that I think you need to chew on think about. Number one, marriage is a leftover of paradise. Marriage isn't a curse. You know, talking about jokes about marriage, they're, they're endless, aren't there? You can, I mean, there's constantly, where would we be without women? In, In the, the garden. garden of Eden. Uh, you know, I used to joke around and sing a little song that I heard somebody sing a long time ago. Uh, I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now. You know, I'm not so strong, I don't have too long, don't have too much to tell. And even a jug of Geritol, some of you are old enough to know about that, <laughs> couldn't change the way I feel. 
I'm like a dog too old to bite. All I can do is growl. But I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now. And then the chorus goes, you can sing it no, if you want to. <laughs> I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now. The girls I'd please with every squeeze and make them holler wow. <laughs> but it's too late to change my fate and such things would not allow. I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now. And, uh, you know, it's a funny little ditty, but the sad thing of it is there are so many people that have a lot of regrets. Yeah. They really would like to go back and undo this and redo that or go back and take advantage of a missed opportunity. And when we're teaching these things, we're not trying to make you feel bad if you've missed it. Because like Glenda said, none of us are perfect. There are no perfect marriages. We're not up here doing this because we have it all together. We are perfect and we're just trying to tell you what we already know and do what we do and everything will be perfect. That's not what this is about. We'll be married 48 years in July and we're still sometimes fuss. (laughs) We still sometimes agree. Uh, (laughs) No, life is life and people are people. But I, I, I think we both can sit up here and say this, that after 48 years, there's nobody else we'd rather be with than each other. We're not looking for somebody else. We're not looking for this to, to be over. We, we love each other still and love each other more than we did then. Amen. And so that's important that we go back, like we're doing, and find out the basis for these things And let God help us get it right. And one of the big lessons of Genesis 2 is that God created Adam's wife. And I believe that everybody in here that is not married and wants to be married, you need to understand that God has created somebody that's his choice. I don't know who she is or who he is. I don't know where they are right now. But I can tell you that when God brought Eve to Adam, he was excited. And you know, there's no record that they ever divorced. There's no record that they ever separated. They didn't have, everything didn't work out, I'm sure, like they wanted it to. The fall really threw a monkey wrench in a lot of stuff. But marriage is a pre-fall paradise relationship. You need to understand that. It is a pre-fall paradise relationship. Marriage is not a curse. It's not a product of the curse. It's not cursed. It is a pre-fall paradise relationship. You know, uh, love is a spiritual force. Yeah. And, um, you know, people sometimes think that they have fallen out of love. Uh, but uh, like Mylon Lefebvre says, you might fall out of bed, but you're not going to fall out of love because the Bible tells us what love is. And so we just make corrections. We do it. And we do what the Word says. Well, sometimes, you know, you may not have a cooperating um, person, you know. and um, Possibly. and so we'll talk later about that but for you 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 decide I 
I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to do what love does. Amen. Amen. Another thing we see in this passage is uh, that God intended marriage to be one man and one woman. Now we know if you're a Bible reader in the Old Testament you, you read about polygamy. And of course you read about the fact that people were allowed multiple wives uh, in the Old Testament. People did. And uh, to codify that, God in trying to, I guess, to help man in his uh, messes that he would make, he basically said to uh, the people that they could only have as many wives as they could afford. (laughs) That's so a good thing. that's basically the way it is today. We have one Praise wife, God. and that's still the same thing. I'm making sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> one woman and one man. That's God's original intent. It's God's original intent. And then number two, I mean number three, the third point in that we see in this passage is that the, this whole thing is two people becoming one. Mm-hmm. So I think of the word together, T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R. Think of it as T-W-O dash G-E-T-H-E-R. Two gather. Two becoming one. And then the final thing that I want to say on this part is, you'll notice that he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Leave and cleave are prerequisites for, for a good marriage. And I will say this is particularly to the men uh, and to women who have an interest in any man anywhere. Um, if he's not willing to leave wherever he is and whoever he's at, you know, home, whatever now. And that's the idea, leaving mom, leaving dad, leaving the comforts of, of what you grew up with. If he's not willing to leave that, to cleave to you, to stick to you like glue, he's not marrying Material. Amen. Move along. If you have to go to his mom's basement to get him upstairs to do the wedding, you're in trouble. You are in big, big, big trouble. And so, uh, men, um, if you're serious about becoming a husband, you have to prepare to be a husband. And I will say this because of many years of pastoring and, of course, being married many years. I think women are much more uh, suitable for these adjustments than most men. I really believe that. I really believe that it's easier for a woman to fall into the, um, or to step into the marriage role than many times it is for men. And so men have to work particularly hard, I think, on this aspect. Uh, If you cannot... uh, if you can't make it work, then wait till you can. You say, well, but you know, we plan on a dual um, a livelihood, two jobs. On it. That's okay. But just know this. It's still your responsibility. Yes. It's your responsibility. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you never want to, as a man, look at your wife and say, well, you know, uh, if, if you just do more. No, you need to go to the mirror and say, you're going to have to do more. I remember hearing the late Dr. Frederick K.C. Price make this statement one time he was preaching. And he said at one point in his life, they were very, at the time he was talking about, they were struggling financially. 
And he said he finally, you know, they were, they were doing what happens when you have financial struggles. They were fussing. And he said his wife Betty said, I said he told his wife Betty, he said, Betty, I'm doing the best I can. And he said she looked back at him. She said, Fred, that's not good enough. <laughs> that's tough, And that's isn't tough. It? That's hard to hear. But I think she got over it. I think finally, I think finally he did good enough. But the point I'm making is, don't try to do something before you're ready. If you can't leave and cleave, then you're not ready to be married. Amen? Amen. All right. And, you know, Pastor talks about how that um, marriage is a leftover from paradise. And we think about the Garden of Eden and how God told man and uh, mankind. Now we see that there's a man and a woman. And so he, he gave them the responsibility of caring for. And uh, I think the message Bible translates it as keeping it in order. Mm-hmm. So uh, we know what we lost in Adam, we gained back in Jesus. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and he gave it to us. And still, he tells us that it's our job to keep it in order. Can, do you ever think about, I do, do you ever think about where we would be? I know Greg made a joke about it, but I'm serious now. Where we would be had they kept things in order. And so that is what we can actually have mm-hmm. right now yes. in our lives. And, and what, how we have that is we keep anything that is not of God out of our space. What, what, wherever you live, whatever you own, whatever uh, is connected to you, you can expect it to prosper. You can expect it to be Amen. like paradise, like it was created by God to be. And he didn't have anything but blessing. Like the uh, uh, translation said, go, prosper, multiply. Increase is God's way of life. See, the fall wasn't inevitable. It wasn't inevitable. It didn't have to happen. Adam didn't run the devil out. That's what, exactly. she, that's what she's talking about is that you, you've got to stand a guard over your life and your family and over the people in your life that you're responsible for and over your body, over your finances, over your relationships. You've got to run the devil out. We, we know from Paul's writings to Timothy that the woman was deceived by the serpent, but man was not. So all that browbeating of Eve is really not scripturally based. Yeah, it was a terrible mistake, but she was deceived. The, the real culprit was Adam. He with his eyes wide open, knowing what he was doing. Which tells me that Eve must have been the most beautiful thing he'd seen. You can imagine a creation before the fall. Can you imagine the Garden of Eden, what, what that looked like, what those animals tame and I mean can you imagine a fully grown tiger a fully grown lion walking by and there's no fear no mm-hmm. harm that's going to come from that the beauty of all of the, the, the creation and Eve was the best looking thing that Adam had ever seen and, and, and so he just sold out he sold he out he didn't keep it 
But it was his decision to make. And so that's why this is so important. We, we have to determine. You can, you can have your own Garden of Eden, if you will. Amen. Your house should be different. Yes. If you've got kids and they have friends over, they should know that there's something different about your house. Uh, it, it should be that they would want to be at your house because they just have, there's a peace there. There's a, there's a blessing there that, that's not everywhere. Because you are protecting your own Garden of Eden, if you will. Amen. Having heaven on earth. You know, if you walk in love and if you do the word, then you have what the word says you will have. But it is your responsibility to make sure that you keep everything in order. I thought of this little nursery rhyme today. And you, you, you probably will know it. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. contrary yes. How does your garden grow? <laughs> so that's a good question, huh? How is your garden? You know, and none of this is ever meant to be condemnation because no one can raise their hand and say, I have perfectly uh, ordered my life without any mistakes. But we can do like Mary, Mary, <laughs> and see where we have holes that we need to plug up and plug them up and get things right back in order and have paradise. Amen. One of the reasons the devil fights marriage is so hard is because marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And I'll give you the reference for that. It's Ephesians 5, 23 through 32. You can read that for yourself. But marriage is a picture of the Lord Jesus and the church. Marriage, uh, and well, let me say this, family is like a, um, a microcosm of a church. Uh, our years of pastoring has told us that really a church will never be any stronger than the families that are in it. Mm -hmm. If there is a, a ton of marital problems, if there is a, a rampant sexual sin, if there are uh, lots of rebellion issues um, that it's hard to build a great church if that is really the bulk of what's going on. You've got to have strong families because the church is a family. We're a family. And uh, it's so important that we understand that that's why the devil hates this. That's why there's such a, a harsh attack on, on marriage and on Christian families is because the devil absolutely hates this yes. image, this picture. And as I said, we, we, some of us never thought we'd live to see the day where that just a normal biblical marriage would be so reviled mm -hmm. and so hated and so demeaned and so cursed and put down. But you see, a godly marriage... A godly family is a picture of God's divine order, Christ in the church. And the devil hates that and will do everything he can to keep that from coming to pass. Amen. And there's going to always be questions and there's going to always be pressures. It's not going to always be easy to do things biblically. But um, if you do so, that's so where the great. rewards come from. Yeah. That's where, let me say this before you go on. Proverbs 13, 15 says the way of transgressors is hard. Mm -hmm. And so if you think it's hard to maintain a godly home and a godly marriage, let me tell you, if you throw it out the window 
and go the way of the transgressor, you haven't even begun to see the mess your life could be and those that you love and hold dear. We can't let our guard down. We have to protect the garden. And in uh, the good spirit of uh, being um, neutral, I also changed the words to the nursery rhyme and said, Harry, Harry, quite contrary. (laughs) So it takes two people to keep the ship on course. Amen. I'd like to go back to 1 Corinthians for a moment, uh, chapter uh, 13. And um, we're not going to be able to finish this tonight. And so this is something we will take up in uh, uh, lessons down the road. We'll probably come back to this passage a number of times. Because I understand that as we talk about this, you can think of lots of questions. And, and uh, there's always uh, things that look like, well, it's an exception. Uh, one thing you need to understand is when we're talking about this, we're presenting what we want as the very best for you right. and for us, for everybody we know. But that doesn't mean that we're pointing a finger if there's a failure. You know, you might have been through a divorce. You might be going through some really tough marital struggles at the moment. You, you may have children that are not serving God like they need to. You, you might have a lot of things that are not exactly perfect at the moment. But what we want to do is present the truths so we can use our faith for the best that God has. Amen. And we also want to learn how, what is our part to make this happen. You know, you can't just go to your prayer closet only and, and just, just pray, and that's all there is to it. When it comes to relationships, you do need to pray, but you also are going to have to deal with people. And it's a whole lot about how we deal with other people. Uh, Any time I hear people and the, all they're talking about is what the other person did, I realize and know that everything they're saying may be true, but... They also have a problem at this point. It, it might be unforgiveness. It might be dealing with rejection or embarrassment or whatever it may be. But, you know, sometimes you just have to look yourself in the mirror and say, get over yourself. You know, you just have to realize, I'm not perfect. Nobody else I know is perfect, but I can sure work on me. I can't fix everybody else. Amen. You know, if, if, if I had my way, the world would be different. <laughs> But that's not how it works. So beginning in the fourth verse, it says, and you have a different translation Mm -hmm. than I do, but the Amplified says, love endures long and is patient and kind. Can you imagine if we just really did this every day? What a difference. Just, Just that. Just the one verse, one phrase. What a difference that would make in your house. Love endures. And I believe that word is there on purpose. Because sometimes it is pure enduring. And you know what? You can't, you can't allow... A- Wait, let me say something. You can say that and still love somebody. You know, I can sense you're feeling sorry for Glenna. She can hold her own. Trust me, she can, she can hold her own. Some things about me she endures. Not always patiently and kindly. <laughs> well... I'm glad you pointed that out. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. Never allow a victim mentality to come on you. 
No. Never allow that to get inside you. That's the spirit of heaviness. It, do not allow it. No matter what happens, don't allow that to take hold in your heart because you're not a victim. You are a victor in Jesus. Amen. So love endures long and, everybody say and. So that's not all there is to it because a lot of people endure long because they're afraid to say anything. They endure long because maybe they're kind of uh, not very outgoing and they just don't really want to speak up. A lot of people endure long because they think they have to. A lot of people endure long because they're thinking, well, I couldn't afford to live without him or I couldn't afford to live without her if we separated. Uh, I don't know what in the world I'd do. I'd have to pay alimony. I'd have to pay child support or I'd have to, you know, go get a job or whatever the, the thing is. And so they just endure. And the longer they endure with that attitude, the worse things are going to get. This and is important. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Amen. And that is not always easy. It's not always easy. A lot of people endure long, but not many endure long and at the same time are patient and kind. Now let me say this about love. According to the Bible, Galatians chapter 5, it's inside of you already. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to ask for it. Excuse me. You don't have to fast for it. You don't have to get 40 people to lay hands on you. If you are born again, love is in you. You have to choose to let it out. So a choice to be patient and a choice to be kind is exactly that. It's a choice. And I would say this. If you're at a place where you have to make a choice to be patient and you have to make a choice to be kind, you don't want to. I've been there, haven't you? We all have. I'm not saying that, that, That's that right. we're all there at, from time to time. So if you're having to choose it, that means, man, you really need it. And so you just do what love does. Now, that doesn't mean you're a doormat for the devil to beat you over the head. That doesn't mean that if you're in an abusive situation that you allow him or her to beat you up or to yeah. thrash you or shoot you or whatever. You know, like the lady who, whose husband got so upset because she was going to church and he was just, he had all he wanted to take of this. You know, he was totally a heathen. She was a Christian. She was committed. She was regularly going to church. And so one night he just got really bold and put a pistol to her head and he said, I'm tired of this. You will not go to church anymore. And so he's, he's standing there. He said, now what are you going to do? She said, well, if you pull that trigger, I'm going to heaven. And if you don't, I'm going to church. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Can you do that? never in that situation. No, no, no. Please. But I'm just saying, you have, to, you have to do what's right because... And we'll get into this more later on. We can't do it all tonight. But, uh, but no man or woman is your Lord. Amen. No. When we talk about priorities, we'll get there. Not tonight, but we'll get there. You've got to know that your first priority in, in everything is you and God. If anybody takes you from your relationship with God, then that is not a godly person in your life. Right. Sometimes we don't get victory until we say adios. To people, sometimes you just have to you just have to close that chapter. It doesn't mean you're spiteful. Doesn't mean you 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 choose to do wrong. Doesn't mean you're trying to get back at somebody. You just have to move on. 
But love endures long and is patient and kind. What, what does your... Love is patient and kind and is not jealous or conceited or proud. You know, jealousy is such an evil thing, and it happens oftentimes in marriages. You know, one person is more successful looking, you know, sometimes, and jealousy sits in, and that is a death nail to any good relationship. We're not proud or conceited or jealous. The Amplified says love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Envy is the feeling of wanting to have what somebody else has. That's what envy is. It is rampant in today's culture. All this, this stuff about the 1% or the whatever percent, and you've got more money than I've got, and you shouldn't have it, and you need to give me some, and all, all that's envy. This whole thing is envy. Uh, there, there's, there's an entire section of the political world that runs on envy. They feed on this. They feed people information to keep this fostered, to keep certain people in power. Is if you can, you, you know, you, you want what somebody else has. The problem is, if you haven't done what they have done, why should you have what they have? Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> You know, if I stood up here tonight and I just, you know, ripped my coat off and ripped my shirt open and started flexing, guess what? You're going to laugh. You're not going to be impressed at all. You're going to laugh. It's a joke. If I wanted to impress you with that move, I would have to do what somebody who could impress us has done. But I'm planning on going home tonight and having a ham sandwich. I, I, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. Some things aren't worth it. So envy is wanting what other people have. Jealousy is being unhappy or angry because you believe that somebody else is, uh, that, so, that someone you, you love or care for is liked by somebody else mm-hmm. or they may be like somebody else. Uh, jealousy is, is, uh, is crueler than the grave is what the scriptures now. say it, is a death it, will, it will kill a relationship and you know Glenna knows this for 40 almost 9 years I've made this statement a number of times especially as a pastor and teaching preaching you, you, you have to make certain statements that maybe I say some things that I wouldn't normally say if I, did, if I wasn't in a pulpit but to prove the point and she feels the same way you know if somebody came along today and turned her head and she followed after them. I would say to that person, if, she, if she's going for, for that, you can have her. <laughs> she would say the same thing to me. Why would I want someone who doesn't really love me? This is a big issue in, 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 in failed marriage situations, is letting go of someone that really you just have to let go because it's, it's, it's over. And so you, you trust God, what's the next thing, Lord? Because God always has something good for you. So I don't think Glenda's going anywhere, but, uh, but I know one thing. I'm not going to the insane asylum if she did. I'd say, well, you've missed it, sister. I've got some. I'm not going to miss it. No, you're not. 
So I'll, let me let me close my part, and then you okay. can finish. Uh, we're out of time, but we have to use our faith for walking in love. And as I said, we're going to get more into the, to how love behaves and what it is. But you have to use your faith for it, just like you do with anything else. Mm-hmm. So you've got to keep the word about these things in front of your eyes, and you've got to keep the word of, about these things coming out of your mouth. And remember this, true love is not really fragile. People's emotions can be fragile, and they can be very touchy. But real love is tough. And if you really love somebody, you will fight for them spiritually. You, you, will, you will do your part. And... Uh, Trust God for the rest. Amen. 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 You can have what you say. Amen. You know, you are in charge of your garden. Uh, but I want to read verse 5 before we uh, say goodnight tonight. And it says, love is not ill-mannered or selfish. You know, if, if you wouldn't act that way to the banker or to the neighbor... You know, if if you wouldn't be ill-mannered to them, then you shouldn't be that way in your house with your spouse. Love is or not your children or ill-mannered or selfish or irritable. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I will say this too. Uh, of course, I'm sure Dina and Jason will talk more about this in their session with us. But... Um, not only do you need to walk in, make a decision to walk in love this way, but if you are a parent or you, you are a grandparent that you get to you know, keep your grandkids some or you're around them, you need to insist on this kind of behavior out of them. Yeah. Walking in love is not automatic. The fallen human nature does not gravitate to love. It gravitates towards selfishness. I mean, all you have to do is ask anybody who works in the nursery. They don't have to be 14 years old to be selfish. It can be, you know, they can be just a That's toddler right. barely able to walk and they don't want to give up their toy or their whatever. So we have to insist and teach these things even to our children. So this, this is something, though, that you can't teach if you don't do. Yes. So we start with ourselves. And so that's how your children, and that's how it's propagated, you know, till it goes to the next generation, the next generation, and uh, a godly heritage, training uh, people to live in victory and to live in the love of God. You can live on love. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. But it's also good to have a ham sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Father, we're grateful tonight. Thank you for this privilege. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's got all the answers. Thank you, Jesus. You always know what to say to us, and you've already said it. We just open the book and find out what you've said. Lord, we thank you for blessing us tonight as a church family, that we're growing in the things of the Spirit, that we're learning, that we're finding our place, and we're, we're learning how to put into practice the things that we hear. These are not just spiritual platitudes, but these are practical truths that we can live by. And Lord, we know and understand that true and deep spirituality is manifested in people who live this way. We don't want to say that we're spiritual, but then we don't walk in love. We don't want to try to impress other people with our spirituality when we are not walking in kindness and love. Help us, Lord, to 
get it all together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.